And now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God lasts forever. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church family. Happy Mother's Day today. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, we, um, if you are a guest with us, we have been uh, in a sermon series called The Lion Roars. And uh, we're going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to spend most of this year uh, walking through uh, this gospel and even part of next year. And, um, and so instead of seeing or hearing the lion roar today, we get, we get to hear uh, the lion speak. And so uh, this is the very first time that Jesus speaks in the gospel of Mark. And Mark tells us that Jesus, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God and announcing and proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the kingdom of God is at near. And so this was Jesus' message. That's the essence of his message. And what's interesting about that is that everything in the gospel really illustrates what he means by that. So it's in the gospel that we see what the kingdom is even like. It's in the gospel that we understand who the king is and what it's like to serve the king. The gospel shows us even how we can enter into the kingdom of God. It's also interesting that the word gospel is used two times in those, in those two verses. Jesus came and proclaimed the gospel of God and then he was calling people to repent and believe the gospel of God. Now that word gospel comes from a a compound Greek word, euangelion, and angelion just simply means an announcement. You means joyful. So when you put it together, it just simply means a joyful announcement. And so Jesus came making a, a joyful announcement. Now we think of it as a church word, but in Jesus' day, gospel was a political term. It was a, it was a political word. In fact, there was a discovery of a Roman inscription that dates around the time of Jesus and Mark, and it reads this it says this the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus now what is all that about that's certainly kind of foreign to our ears and foreign to our thinking but but really it was the story of the birth of Caesar Augustus and his coronation uh, to the crown of the you know of the Roman Empire and so really the gospel is just life-changing news that's what, that's what a gospel is. It is life-shaping, life-altering news, and certainly the coronation of a, Caesar, of, a, of a Caesar would be that. Now, it's also news of a military victory. And so when the Persians invaded, invaded Greece, the, the, the Greeks won the Battle of Marathon and Solness, and what they did is they, they sent out evangelists all throughout the territory to share the news that we have... We have fought for you and we have won and you're no longer slaves, you've been set free. That would be life-shaping news. That would be a gospel. I mean, you could imagine it in today's context where messengers leave Ukraine, the country of Ukraine, they go into the refugee camps and they announce that uh, the Russians have been defeated. We have fought for you and you can return home you have been set free. That's, that's what the gospel really is. It's an announcement that something has happened in space and time, something 
life-changing that changes your status forever. Now, right here is where we really see again the difference between all the religions of the world and Christianity. Because when you think about all the religions of the world, they make an announcement of something you have to do to get close to God. They, they, they make an announcement that you need to do these things or you need to do those things in order to have favor with God or to have access with God. And, and so it's just this announcement of things you need to be doing. And it's not a very joyful announcement because who wants an ever-expanding to-do list? But that's exactly, that's exactly the message of all the religions of the world. These are the things that you need to do. It's kind of like when you walked in your class in elementary school and the teacher had all the assignments written on the whiteboard in front of you. And how did you feel at that moment? You felt overwhelmed looking at all the things that you have to do. And that's, that's exactly what religion lays on us. All the things that we must do and what, what we must avoid. But Christianity is radically different because Christianity is not about it's not an announcement of what we need to do. It's an announcement of what has been done for us. It's an announcement that God has acted in space and time and has fought for us and has won and has set us free. And so it is life-changing news. It is status-changing news. And so the gospel very clearly says this is how Jesus lived. This is how Jesus died. And he secured your access to God the Father. That is an incredibly joyful announcement so Jesus comes proclaiming the gospel and proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in just a moment but he's basically saying the kingdom is here right in front of your very eyes and so that really begs the question as what the kingdom of God is what is that like what is he talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of God is at hand and why is the kingdom of God such a joyful announcement. I, I think a lot of us kind of struggle to understand this because we don't live in a time period of kingdoms, at least not in the United States. You know, in the first century, there were lots of kings and kings had ultimate authority. They had, they, they were, they had, uh, they were, had sovereign control uh, over their areas. And particularly in the Roman Empire, you had the emperor and underneath the emperor, you had kings who ruled the different provinces over the empire, and those kings answered to the, to the Caesar, to the empire. And so the king for the people of Israel, as the people of Israel understood, the king had the highest authority. The king was responsible for, you know, the, the safety, the protection, the provision of his citizens. Their, the, the lives of his citizens were completely his. He could order them to do whatever he wanted them to do, and you had to do it. And if you didn't do it, he, he, he had all authority to execute you. And not only that, but all of the property in the kingdom belonged to the king himself, not to his people. And so when Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God, they completely understand. His audience completely understands what he's talking about because they lived life in the kingdom every single day. And so Jesus is choosing the highest figure known to humans to basically make the proclamation that God is above all the kingdoms of the earth and that one day the kingdom of God will displace the kingdom of man. And that is really, really good news. Now you see this throughout the New Testament. 
You trace this theme all the way through the New Testament, and you see that the New Testament clearly presents Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You go to the book of Revelation, and it unveils that Jesus is not just King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but he's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who is and was and is to come. He is the eternal one. He is Almighty, Almighty God. We also see that that God's kingdom is not just over planet earth. Like what we see from scripture is Jesus is king over the heavens. He's, he's king over the cosmos. I mean, when you just think about this, church, I mean, consider, consider how small we are in the big scheme of things. Like we are, we are one person on a very tiny planet in a small solar system, in a galaxy where there's thousands of galaxies, right? And, and what the scripture asserts is Jesus is Lord and King over all of that. That he is, he is King and God and he rules. And what's even more interesting is that God has given to us agency. He, is, he has given us the freedom to choose, to love, and to hate, and, or just to simply be indifferent and to be passive. He's given us the ability to make choices. Can you imagine the risk that it was for God to create beings who could turn their back on what he intended for them? And that's exactly what he did. He, he took the risk. And the bottom line is this that God is king whether you choose to acknowledge him or not. He is king whether you choose to follow him or not. And what's interesting even more is that if you choose not to acknowledge his kingship and his authority, his kingdom is not diminished in any way by your lack of acknowledgement of his authority. And sadly, that's really the story of humanity, isn't it? It's the story that we see unfold in front of us every day throughout our country, throughout even in our community. I, there was an article in the Chicago Tribune about a guy named Kevin Ball. And uh, the reason why this article was, was fascinating is because uh, Kevin Ball has his own country. Did you know that? He, he is the, he is the uh, you know, the president and king of his own country, really is. Uh, it's called the Republic of Malasia, and uh, his official title is His Excellency, uh, King Kevin Ball. And uh, you can see him here with his impressive khaki uniform, his medals, his hat, and his, and his sash. And so now, if you've not heard of the kingdom of Malasia, that's totally understandable uh, because it consists of his three-bedroom home and 1.3-acre house uh, or lot outside of... Outside of uh, uh, Dayton, Nevada. And so, and so he boasts that he has a space program in the kingdom of Malasia. It's a model rocket in his bedroom. He also boasts that he has a currency uh, for his, you know, the, the subjects of his kingdom to do trade. It's called chocolate chip cookie dough. Uh, he, also, he also boasts that he has a navy, which is an inflatable raft in, in his garage. And there's a national sport that's played in his driveway called broom ball. And, uh, you know, I could go on and on with these things, according to this article. But, but the newspaper goes on to say that Ball is a 45-year-old father of two, and he's a micro-nationalist. And so he's one of a wacky band of do-it-yourself nation builders who raise their flags over their front yards and declare 
declare their property to be, as Ball puts it, the kingdom of me. The kingdom of me. Now, I think, I think some of this is obviously a joke, but it hits a little too close to home um, when you think about it from a cult- cultural perspective today, because this is exactly what the human race has done since the beginning of time. You can trace it all the way back to Genesis 3. What have we done? We've rejected the, the kingly rule of God, and we've tried to establish the kingdom of me. And you see it in the story of Adam and Eve, and it's been replicated millions and billions of times even since then. Now, how did the king respond to our rebellion? Did he try to force his commands upon us? Did he try to do that? No, he, he really didn't. He, he responded by trying to woo us, by trying to draw us to himself with his kindness. And how did he do that? Well, he did that by putting on human skin and walking on this tiny planet with us. And what he said is, I will reveal to them the kingdom of the Father. I will show them the love of the Father. I will show them the reality of the kingdom right in front of us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He, he lived 33 years. He ministered specifically for three years doing miracles to confirm who he was to confirm the arrival and the coming of the kingdom. He came preaching and teaching. He came raising the dead and and healing the sick. And you know what we did to him? We crowned him with a crown of thorns. We, We crucified him on a Roman cross. And it's in that that we see the depth of our depravity. But also in that, we see the height of the love of God for us. The love of God that that really just transcends our sinfulness and and depravity. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just share with you three aspects of the kingdom of God that, um, you know, that when Jesus talks about the the kingdom of God is at hand, I want to share with you how he's using that and what he means by the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand. Because I think there's three specific points that Jesus is really trying to convey to us as he's preaching the coming of the kingdom of God. First and foremost, I I think what he's talking about here is that the kingdom of God is right now. The kingdom of God is here now. It's a present reality. You see this in verse 15 because he says the time has been, is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What, what, What does he even mean by that? What does he mean that the kingdom of God is at hand? Well, you know, John Piper talks about that in the New Testament, the New Testament Writers understood all of human history in two ages. You have the present age with, with sin and the misery of this world and, and, you know, the satanic power that we see on display uh, every day. So that's, that's the current age that we live in. But, but there's also another age that the New Testament writers understood, and that's the age to come. It's the renewal of all things. It is new heaven and new earth that is, that is making its way towards us every single day. And so when Jesus comes talking about that the kingdom of God is at hand, he means that it's here, that the kingdom of God has arrived, it's present. And the mission of seeking and saving the lost has begun. That the work of redemption has started in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what happens in these two ages is that they now begin to overlap. And we're right in the middle of it. 
So this current age, this, with its sin and its misery and satanic stronghold over the rulers of the earth, that that continues to endure and we continue to see that every day. But we also see the overlapping, the coming of the kingdom at the very same time. And the coming of that kingdom is God's rule and reign landing here on this planet. Another way you could kind of think of it is this way, the kingdom of God is both now and it's not yet. It's now, it's present, but it's not been fully consummated. For example, what I, what I mean by that is we know that Christ has already purchased our healing. He's already purchased it. By his stripes, we are healed. He's already confirmed it. But we still groan with sickness. Not only that, but we we've, find that in being born again and experiencing the regenerating work of the Spirit of God in our lives, we pass from death to life, but we still die. Not only that, but think about this. We, we've already experienced the sanctifying work of the Spirit as a down payment of our inheritance. But every day, we still have to fight sin, flesh, and the devil every day. Currently, we are citizens in heaven. That's where our allegiance is. But we also have to submit to governing authorities here on earth. And so every blessing that we have in the age to come is our, already ours. But God wills for us to come into that inheritance patiently. That's what he wills for us. And you see glimpses of this in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul speaking in Acts 14. 1422 saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God so what he's describing are tribulations that we have to go through but also entering the kingdom of God what you have is this overlapping this this really now and not yet now um, so perhaps the tri the tribulations and trials that we go through are a way of preparing for us the new heaven and new earth they're a way of getting us ready for it. Now, what are the implications of this? They're massive, absolutely massive. Let me, let me share a couple of them with you. Uh, as we think about the kingdom of God as a right now reality, I, I think the first one is that God rules and reigns over our planet right now. And I know it doesn't seem like that. If you watch cable news, it certainly doesn't seem like that. You read the newspaper, it doesn't seem like that. It, it seems like the furthest thing from the truth, right? But God is sovereign. God rules over this fallen, broken world uh, that we live in. And he does that whether you are aware of it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. I grew up in South Alabama. And there is uh, an interesting thing in South Alabama. There are these fire ant mounds down there. And so everywhere you go, you, you see these huge fire ant mounds in fields, in the woods, and that kind of thing. And uh, as a kid, they're fascinated because you step in them and within two seconds, there are hundreds of thousands of fire ants pouring out of the ground and they are just ticked off, you know what I mean? And heading right for your foot. And so you better get your foot out of the mound pretty quickly or you're gonna be in, in trouble. And so I would do that pretty regularly uh, <laughs> as a kid. And so what I would do is I'd be real careful, real smart about it. You know, I would stick my foot in it and then they're coming out of the ground and then I would just step back and then just kind of peer over and just stare at them. And it was fascinating having kind of a bird's eye view of this because, because it's interesting, these, these fire ants really never moved more than one or two feet away from their home base. 
That's one thing that I observed from them. Another thing that I observed is they were completely unaware that they were surrounded by a huge expanse of field or woods or whatever. And then as I sat there and stared at them, they were unaware that I was looking at them. They were completely unaware of my very presence there. And I think, I think the point of that is this, that, that God's reign and rule over the earth is a, is a present reality. He rules over this earth whether people acknowledge that or not. And he is there. And he rules and reigns. Whether we submit to him or not, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. There's not a place in this world where he is not. There's not a place in the cosmos where he is not. And, and, and when we see is that his kingdom is all around us and his kingdom is slowly growing all around us every day, even, it's, even if it's not always perceived by us. We see that everything in creation obeys certain principles that God has set into motion. And we also see from Colossians that God holds all of creation together by the very power of his word in a, in a, in a beautiful precision. And so what Jesus is talking about when he says that the kingdom of God is a, is a, is a near and present reality, he's talking about that we need to recognize his reign over all of the earth we need to have our eyes open to it and we need to see it and I think what that means practically is every morning that we we wake up we need to come back to this truth that Jesus is sovereign over our lives he's sovereign over this world he is in control and I think we get so time bound we get so consumed with the things that we have to do and the you know the tasks that we have to complete, we get so this world focused that we really forget that Jesus rules and reigns every day and that we're part of that kingdom. I mean, when you think about it, none of this is going to last. I mean, think about where you live right now. Probably a hundred years from now, your house won't even be there anymore. Somebody will have bulldozed it. And in a hundred years from now, I'm pretty safe to say none of us are going to be around. And not to totally depress you, but a hundred years from now, your family's not even going to remember you. Now, are you feeling really good today? Now that I got you all pumped up and everything. I mean, we live on this tiny planet in the middle of the Milky Way galaxy which is itself in the middle of thousands and thousands upon galaxy. And we have the tendency to think it's all about us. And it's not. We fall into the delusion that we're in control and we are reigning and that this is the kingdom of me. And it's not. We're just supporting characters in a drama where the main character is Jesus Christ. So that's one implication. I think another implication is when you think about the, the kingdom of God as a present reality, it, it, it just simply means, you know, I wake up in the morning and I, I recognize that Jesus is ruling and reigning over this. And, and, and the implication is this, I can trust him with the trials and tribulations that I'm going through, whatever they might be. 
that the king cares about me. Like, I'm, I'm just so small. I'm a pimple on a flea. That's what I am. And yet the king of the cosmos knows and cares about me. And what that means is I can trust in him to take care of me. First Peter says it like this, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's what we need to do with our anxiety is take it to our king. And he is a king who understands and sympathizes with his people. I mean, what king understands his people? King Jesus does. Hebrews 4.15 says it like this, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So the king cares, the king understands, the king takes our trials and tribulations and he uses them for our good and he uses them for his glory. He is most glorified in our weaknesses. Romans 8.28 says it like this, and we know that for those who love God, who love King Jesus, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's what we know. And so that's how the kingdom is a right now reality. Secondly, Jesus comes proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's really talking about the kingdom being a vision for the future. Because it's not totally here yet. It hasn't been completely consummated. So, so he's really giving us a vision for the future. Let me, let me explain what I mean by this. The knowledge of the kingdom of God is not meant for us to kind of say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. So now I can just ignore all the problems of the earth. I can ignore all the problems in my family. I can ignore all the problems in my community. I can ignore all the problems in my school, in my city, in my state, whatever, and because I'm a part of the kingdom of God and one day God's gonna take care of it. Well, one day he is gonna take care of it. But I think instead the knowledge of the kingdom of God is meant to compel us to work in such a way so that the kingdom of God is realized here. So that the kingdom of God continues to expand and continues to grow because we live in a world of rebellion and brokenness and it's only going to grow exponentially as we see what's happening in society today. Exponential brokenness, exponential pain, exponential need, you can see it coming. So how do we respond to that? Do we just hide in our closet and wait for Jesus to come back? I don't think so. I think there's a couple of things we can do. I think number one, we, we are to pray. We're commanded to pray. The disciples went to Jesus and they said, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? Because man, when you pray, things happen. And part of his teaching them to pray, he gives them a pattern for prayer. Part of that prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's giving us there is a vision for the future. He's helping us try to picture in our minds what it would be like for King Jesus to actually reign and be recognized completely on this planet. So we need to be praying to that end every day. And I know it seems overwhelming. I, I know it seems like the odds are just so stacked against us, but, but man, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so this really is the revealing of what we see God's vision for the future. I mean, can you imagine, church, a world that recognizes God's rule and reign? Can you imagine the world? 
I mean, what would that be like? It would be, I mean, I think it would be amazing. I mean, there would be no more sex trafficking in Johnson County, in central Indiana. There'd be no more, you know, drug addictions. There'd be no more poverty here. There'd be clean water in Haiti. There'd be schools for kids in Haiti. They don't have access to clean water or schools. You know, if God's rule and reign was recognized, our political leaders would make decisions based on what brings about human flourishing rather than what lines their wallets. And that would be amazing. And I think for most of us, we can't even imagine that. And I think that's the problem. We need to imagine it. We need to meditate on it. We need to think about it. Because maybe in seeing it, in our mind's eye, in our heart's eye, we begin to pray for it more fervently and more specifically. I think there's another thing that we can do as a vision for the future, the kingdom becoming reality, is we just start working towards it. We just get busy and we start working to usher in the kingdom of God. Because it's the kingdom of God that we work for. It's the kingdom of God that we're striving for. That's the goal. That's where we're headed. And so God is working throughout the world. And what he does is he shares the work. He shares the task with us. He always accomplishes his work through people. Because in that, he is most glorified. Because if he can work through people, wow, that's just he could do anything, right? You know, Karl Marx said that religion was the opiate of the people. That he, what he saw of Christians is they were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. Now, I'm not sure what he saw there because my experience is we need to be more heavenly minded because that's actually what compels us to serve and make, make a difference in the world. But, but we'll just go with what he said. But here's the thing. God loves this present world. And uh, he's going to redeem it. He's going to renew it. He's going to, he's going to restore it and renovate it. And uh, that's what he's doing every single day, even, even if you're unaware of it. And uh, he invites us into it. So what, what does this really look like? I, I think practically you could be a small business owner just, just listening to me right now. I, I, think, I think what it would look like is that the way that you lead your business, the way that you do business every day reflects the character of your king. You lead with integrity and honesty. Or maybe you're a high school student or a college student. And what that means is you take your studies seriously for the glory of God. Because he gave you a brain. He gave you gifts, abilities, and talents. And he gave you an opportunity for education. And that brings him great glory. You growing and learning and becoming your best. I think if you're a mom, whether you're a working mom or a stay-at-home mom, you know, that, that you kind of facilitate your home in such a way that the rule and reign of God is honored and recognized in your home. And uh, you don't have complete control of how hearts respond to that, but you do have control over the environments those hearts are in. And in that way, you're ushering in the kingdom of God. Now, I could go on and on with these. I, I could give you hundreds of examples of this. But the bottom line is this. There's no secular versus sacred. There's no division between those. Everything's just sacred. Because everything belongs to God. Everything is his. And so when we're working for the kingdom of God, we're working in such a way that people recognize that. 
and they see it. So you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to usher in God's will being done on the earth. It's just wherever you are, you realize you're an ambassador of the king. You represent the king. When people see you, they should be seeing the king in you. You know, one of Jesus' favorite parables is the kingdom of, or not the kingdom, but the parable of the mustard seed, which is a parable of the kingdom. And he talks about it's the smallest of seeds. But you put it in the ground, and Jesus talks about it becomes one of the largest trees in the garden. And it just kind of takes over. And that's what he's saying is happening here. That slowly in the ground, the kingdom of God is a seed in the ground. And it's just slowly coming up. It's slowly expanding. And one day, it's going to take over. And you're going to see it. And so it's God that transforms, but he, he does the transformation through people. I think of, uh, you know, Ann Madison is a member of Stones here, and she leads a ministry in Mooresville called Peace Restored. And uh, it's an amazing ministry. Uh, it's a ministry dedicating, dedicated to helping women, you know, just find hope and healing uh, through life's most difficult circumstances, whether it's sexual abuse or physical abuse or uh, just dealing with life's losses or grief, depression, uh, anxiety, whatever it is. And and, and what she and her team do, they just minister to women. And what they do is they bring the kingdom of God to those women so that hearts are changed one heart at a time. And that's how the kingdom grows. Just one heart at a time. People understanding that the king is good, that they can trust him, they can rely on him. And that's the ministry of peace res restored and that's how she wakes up every single day saying, God, just use me today to bring your kingdom to the earth. See, she has a vision. I just wonder if we all started praying that, we all started thinking that, we, start, we started seeing that, what kind of difference we would make wherever God has planted us. Third, I think when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God is at hand, he's He's really pointing us to that the kingdom of God is really the climax of human history. Like God has taken us somewhere, church. And uh, it's amazing. It's the climax of human history, the coming of the kingdom of God. What's going to happen eventually is the kingdom of God will transplant, will replace the kingdom of man. It'll completely root it out. And we see it in Revelation 21. Let me just show, just give you a small glimpse of this. It's all over scripture, honestly. Uh, it's just a beautiful portrait, but let me show it to you. Revelation 21, and John says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will, will be with them as their God and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be, there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now what he's describing here is the kingdoms, they boast now. They oppress their people now. But there's going to be a day when they're called to account. And there's going to be a day when they are absolutely displaced. And there'll be no more grief. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more injustice. There'll be no more pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. And all things will have become new. 
And so what that means practically is you and I don't need to be afraid of the future. We don't need to be anxious because we're on the winning team. We don't, we don't need to be worrying about, you know, what, what the future may hold because, and I know it's cliche, we know who holds the future, right? We don't need to live in fear. We don't need to be timid. And uh, we can advance and live with confidence knowing that God wins in the end. Now, I just want to end this message like Jesus ended his message in Mark 1, 14, 15, because what he did is he called the people to repent and to believe the gospel. Like as a response to the coming of the kingdom of God, what, what would that response be? Repent and believe the gospel. To repent means that you just change your perspective, right? You change your mind. It's not the kingdom of me anymore. You go ahead and displace that kingdom and you usher in the kingdom of God. It's a change of direction. It, it's where you begin to value what God values. You begin to love what God loves. You begin to be a part of the work that God is doing in the world today. You choose his priorities. You, you commit to his values. You put your trust in his promises. Everywhere you go, you represent the king. You glorify the king in what you do. And people may not give you recognition, but God will give you the recognition. He will share his glory with you. And so that's what repentance is. It's, it's coming into your right mind. It's saying, I'm not a king of anything. I'm just a servant. And that's where the joy is. And I think secondly, to believe the gospel means that you receive the joyful announcement that someone has fought for you. You receive the announcement that someone has won for you. You receive the good news that you're now part of the king. You're, no, you're, you're part of the kingdom. You're no longer slaves, but you've been set free. You know, as I think about the stories throughout human history, there's never been a story, you know, where the king dies for his people. It's always the other way around. It's always the people fight to save the king. They fight for the king. And uh, they, they say, long live the king. Because we have to protect the king at all costs. But, but Christianity is the announcement that the king laid down his life for his people because he loved his people so much. That's just an amazing story. That in Christianity, the king dies so that his people might live. And that's our motivation, right? That's, that's what compels us. The love of God compels us to live for the kingdom. So I dare you, I dare you to pray tomorrow morning, God, let me just be used to bring your kingdom to the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we give you praise, we give you glory because you are our great king. And we just bow at your feet any crowns that we might have, we, we cast them at your feet because there's only one worthy of glory and honor and praise and it is King Jesus. Thank you that you've invited us into your kingdom work. Thank you that you have brought us into the kingdom of God. Thank you that this is life-altering news, life 
life-changing news. And we thank you for the gospel, the simple announcement of what has been done for us. You made a way. You bridged the chasm. You broke down the door. You tore down the wall. You've saved us. You've redeemed us. And I just ask that you would raise us up to be ambassadors, men and women and students. And everywhere we go, we glorify the key. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that we can trust you with what we're tempted to worry about. Thank you that you have our lives in your hands. That you love us. You love your people. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.